school start delay. Yeah, I'm glad that it's a topic of conversation right now. The reason the return to class is being pushed back. Hospitality calamity. How much resin would you like? Downtown businesses struggle to survive with so many deserted office towers. And an e-bike for seniors stolen before they could even ride it. The suspect caught on camera. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The province has announced today the start of the school year will be pushed back for students. More on that in a moment, but first, growing concern about the latest COVID-19 stats for the province and the fact our active case numbers continue to creep up. Today we have 46 new cases for a total now of 4,111. No new deaths. It's been days. So that number remains at 195. Eight people are in hospital, five of them in ICU. 3,444 people are considered fully recovered, leaving B.C. with 472 active cases. 1,821 people are in quarantine because of community exposure. Now, while BC schools will reopen on September 8th, only teachers will be in the classroom that day. The province officially delaying the start of the school year for students, but the question is, for how long? Richard Zussman joins us live now with more on the expected delay to the start of the, of the kids. And Chris, it still is a mystery exactly how long this delay will be. They are talking about days rather than weeks. But what we know for sure is when teachers, administrators, staff walk through these doors on September 8th, students won't be following. Summer break for kids across the province is going to last a little longer. Having uh, uh, the restart week uh, staged in, in, in some kind of manner uh, that uh, would have uh, staff teams together uh, for a couple of days before we uh, gradually welcome kids back is a good idea. When school starts September 8th, teachers, administrators and staff will be there, but kids won't be. Education Minister Rolf Fleming says the final details have not been worked out yet on when kids will return. We fully anticipated that there would be some uh, shifts and adjustments as we go. I think that's the wise uh, course of, of, of action as we proceed. So this is one of the areas where we've, uh, we've looked at that closely. There has been increased pressure on government to push back the start. The primary concern is teachers don't get back to work in most districts until September 8th, and they want time to ensure the new safety measures are understood. No one's advocating, you know, for a lengthy um, delay to the start of the school year at all, but there's going to need to be some days for school staffs to get together, for teachers to get that important training. Another issue is the physical classroom. There was worry about distancing not being possible, and teachers need time to reconfigure tables or desks to ensure safety. There needs to be a lot of thought given to how we can best set up classrooms, how we can reduce sharing classroom supplies. Normally, kids go to their previous year's class during part of the first week of school. Due to the pandemic, that won't happen. Parents still digesting what an extension of summer break could mean for them and their kids. I would support it as long as we have a full school year, so they would have to extend the end of school. Students should be able to take school from home and they shouldn't have to go back to school buildings, especially during this pandemic. I support them doing something in the safest manner possible. It was a little bit too soon to have the schools go back to too early. 
All right, Richard, have you been given any indication when the final decision on how long school will be pushed back will be delivered? Yeah, Chris, it sounds like we're going to find out in about a week's time, but it could come as early as this week. And what we know is that the working groups, it's a, uh, stakeholders who are involved in education, they have been doing work on this and they have been consulting behind the scenes to ultimately make that decision. So we don't know the firm date yet, Chris, but it will come soon and it won't be longer than a week from now. All right. Thank you, Richard. Now, new research suggests a pandemic trend could take a big bite out of hospitality industry revenues over the next year. As Grace Key reports, the survey looked at how often Canadians dined out before the pandemic and how often we plan to visit restaurants post-COVID. Lineups used to be out the door during the rush hour at Field and Social in downtown Vancouver. Now it's a lot of takeout in delivery as most of the tables sit empty. We do kind of cater more to the offices business sort of side. So until the clientele get back into the offices, that's when we will see our kind of more back to normal. Um, luckily, it's not as a, as a major drop thanks to like the online pickups and obviously deliveries. A new study from Dalhousie University shows the hospitality industry across Canada could get hit with a $20 billion loss this coming year. Telecommuting may be responsible for at least a 30% drop in sales for the food industry. Almost 11,000 Canadians were surveyed. When asked if they're planning to work from home more often in a year from now, 23% said yes. That means even after the pandemic is over, some restaurants and cafes may not see the same numbers as before as people were going out a lot more prior to COVID. Maybe twice a week. Twice a week. What about now? Uh, maybe once a week. Why the change? Uh, I don't work downtown full time anymore. I work at home sometimes still. Uh, five days a week and now probably once. You went out five days a week for something? For like for coffee or yeah, 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 something. But I only come into the office one day a week now, so... So here we go. The survey also shows that after the pandemic, more people plan on eating out only once a week, but the numbers drop for people planning on going out two or more times. Because I like working at home and I like I would like the balance of doing both. So I think at most I'd come back downtown like two days a week and then uh, yeah, work from home three days. That'd be ideal. Restaurants in the urban core are expected to be hit hardest. Businesses may have to continue to evolve well after the pandemic. Grace Key, Global News. Another Vancouver business has been flagged as a potential COVID-19 exposure location. Anyone who visited the Foot Locker on Robson Street between August 4th and 5th may have been exposed to COVID-19, according to Vancouver Coastal Health. That comes after patrons were warned about possible cases at two Vancouver restaurants over the weekend. Pierre's Champagne Lounge and West Oak Restaurant both had low-risk exposure cases. Vancouver Coastal Health today included additional dates to those warnings. And if you'd like more information, visit the website. Now to a news hour follow-up on the story on a party bus that pulled up to a local bar. The bar manager felt the people on board weren't following safe COVID practices and turned them away. Well, now we're hearing from one of the passengers from that bus who says his group was taking all the proper pandemic precautions. Aaron MacArthur reports. When Patrick McWilliams woke up Monday morning, he was shocked to hear his group's trip downtown had made provincial headlines. It's become quite infamous, actually, uh, and it's kind of mind-blowing. Welcome to Boston. McWilliams and a dozen friends went out Saturday night riding in from Langley on a bus supplied by Boss Limos. 
getting dropped off in front of the Belmont Hotel. I looked out this window right here and there's a big 30 foot long black party bus. It was like a clown car. People just started pouring out and they just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. McWilliam says in reality, it was just close friends that have been socializing since the beginning of phase three. This Don guy comes out of the woodwork and is trying to paint himself as a hero now. But uh, from what I recall, you know, a girl tried to use the bathroom there. It was never the plan to actually attend the Belmont. The group visited a few different spots Saturday night, sitting in groups of no more than six and following the rules laid out by club management and ultimately the provincial health officer, who still has concerns with the idea of party buses. If they're all people that are part of your so, uh, you know, social bubble then, and they're smaller than 50, maybe it works. While officials are warning, young people especially, about the dangers of parties and alcohol, phase three continues to be about managing risk. Despite the close confines of the bus, to McWilliams, what his group did Saturday night was no different than being at home or the local pub. You know, we're up here in stage three, the last that I checked. There's rules in place. As long as you're following those rules, that's what they're there for. Aaron MacArthur, we Global News. Them, you know, BC Ferries will get a share of a multi-billion dollar federal provincial bailout fund after a huge drop in traffic early in the pandemic. Because of those losses, it qualifies for the cash under the Canada Safe Restart Agreement. But as Ted Chernecki reports, just how much money BC Ferries will get is still up in the air. Ridership is now at about 80% of what it was last year. But in April, it was below 20%. And so, BC Ferries continues to sail on a sea of red ink, losing about $700,000 a day, even with the increased summer traffic, according to CEO Mark Collins. If it's one thing this pandemic has shown, public transportation is extremely vulnerable. And this pandemic has moved us from a, from a priority to a necessity. Today, the feds and provincial governments formally recognize that five months after the start of the pandemic. Today, I am very pleased to announce that BC Ferries will be eligible for federal and provincial funding under the Safe Restart Agreement. The pandemic really showed us how vital public transportation is to keeping our communities moving. $540 million from the feds matched by the province. This means restoring service to pre-COVID-19 levels, keeping fares affordable, and contributing to the safe and responsible restart of our economy. But that $1 billion is for all public transit. In June, TransLink estimated its revenue loss alone will be over a billion dollars. A task force will now decide how much money goes to which public transit service. Meanwhile, the Green Party claims BC Ferries was forced to use capital reserves because of the NDP's indecisiveness. This is our transportation network. It equals about 30% of our provincial economy. Like, these are big numbers and it's a big important service in our province that we can't afford to just leave for someone else to step in and fix uh, because there, there isn't the political will there to do it. He says he worries about the long term when there's no money in the capital budget to replace aging ferries. Ted Chernecki, Global News. 
At least one person is dead after a B.C.-based fishing boat began taking on water off the coast of Washington. The 66-foot commercial fishing boat Arctic Fox 2 called for help at around 2 a.m., 165 kilometers from Cape Flattery, west of Port Renfrew. The three people on board said they planned to abandon ship. One fisherman was rescued by the U.S. Coast Guard from a lifeboat. He's in stable condition. The B.C. Coroner Service has confirmed one person has died, and so far, no details are being released on the condition of the third fisherman. The Arctic Fox 2 is registered to the Teague Fishing Corporation based in Shawnigan Lake. RCMP and Canada Border Services are showing off $875,000 worth of drugs recently seized from a commercial vessel off Victoria. 11 packages totaling almost 17 kilograms of suspected cocaine were found in the engine room after the ship docked near Victoria June 2nd. RCMP divers found evidence of tampering and believe more drugs were likely tossed overboard and picked up before the vessel arrived. It had traveled between South America, Europe, the Caribbean and the U.S. before coming to B.C. There have been no arrests or charges as the investigation continues. It was supposed to be a way for seniors to get some much-needed exercise, but it disappeared before they could even ride it. The rare e-bike stolen in a crime caught on camera, and how you can help get it back in just over a minute. Democrats hope it's the dream team to beat Donald Trump. Why Joe Biden chose Kamala Harris to be his running mate in the U.S. election later on the news hour. And it came from the Yukon, the Bhangra dancing sensation, making friends and racking up views traveling throughout B.C. Right now, though, a Vancouver long-term care home is appealing to a heartless thief who stole a valuable e-bike before the seniors ever had a chance to ride it. It's a highly specialized ride and took a community effort to buy it. But as Sarah McDonald reports, the only one who benefited is the thief who was caught on camera making his getaway. It's not your typical bicycle by a long shot. Set apart by its $17,000 price tag and a very special function and purpose for residents at this nonprofit long-term care home in Yelltown. To help those residents stay physically active and pedal alongside the volunteer. It is designed for those that have mobility issues. But last Saturday, on the heels of completing a months-long journey from the Netherlands, imported after being bought with funds raised by generous donors, this brand new twin tandem electric bike met the same fate as so many others. A gentleman went down our ramp, gained access into our underground garage, and he proceeded to get on it and uh, pedal it out of the underground and push it up the ramp and he was gone. Days later, the bike and the thief who stole it are still long gone. Robbing residents, not only of a valuable possession, but a gateway to normalcy and the outdoor exercise so many in long-term care are so desperately craving under COVID-related restrictions. It's very different being pushed in a wheelchair around the seawall as opposed to riding a bike. It just changes your perspective. So by going public, they're hoping whoever this is may have a shift in perspective too and return the bike in working condition. He's significantly impacted, sorry, in a negative way, 127 seniors 
that are vulnerable and looking for every opportunity to get out into the community and live a normal life like they used to. Vancouver police are also on the lookout and asking the public to do the same. It's not hard to recognize. The bike that's hard to miss, now deeply missed by its rightful owners. Sarah McDonald, Global News. A huge police presence and a major disruption in Gastown today after hazardous materials were found. Police were called to a residence on Water Street near Abbott for what's only being described as a hazardous materials situation. Officers closed off a large area around the site with Water Street closed between Maine and Camby. The police bomb squad used drones to survey the site before a robot was brought in to perform a series of small remote control detonations. The scene has now been cleared and traffic is moving again. One of B.C.'s most notorious killers has had her parole expanded. Kelly Ellard, who was convicted of killing 14-year-old Raina Virk near Victoria in 1997, has been granted extended-day parole. The Parole Board of Canada says Ellard, who now goes by the name Carrie Sim, can live away from her residential facility for up to five days a week. Ellard was 15 when she and a group of teens beat Virk before she and an accomplice drowned the girl in the gorge water. Waterway. Ellard is now in her late 30s, has two children, and is in what the parole board describes as a stable relationship. The son of a prominent B.C. chocolatier has been acquitted of sexual assault. Taylor Haas was accused in connection with an alleged incident in 2018 while he was attending Queen's University in Ontario. His father is the owner of Thomas Haas Chocolate, which is based in Vancouver. A judge has ruled that the Crown did not prove that the woman, although she was intoxicated, lacked the capacity for consent. Vancouver police are investigating the city's 10th homicide of the year. The VPD says 64-year-old Jeff Strom was assaulted near East Cordova and Dunleavy Streets last Thursday afternoon, around 5.30. He was rushed to hospital with serious injuries and died two days later. James Fireheller has been charged with manslaughter and is now in police custody. Police believe there are other people who witnessed what happened but have not come forward. And those people are being asked to speak to police. Any information that they do provide can be critical to this investigation. Investigators are also looking for dash cam footage from any drivers in the area at the time of the murder. Again, around 5.30 p.m. on Thursday, August 6th. Still ahead, she moves like a mountain goat. A lot of people really like coffee. I like a little bit of two-stroke in the morning, and you just know it's going to be a good day. The BC Trials rider following in her father's path later in sports. But first, a cultural institution at risk of being lost. How COVID could kill this Richmond night market. Next. Looks like crews are finally wrapping up here, working on Highway 10 eastbound, just past 176th Street in Cloverdale. The right lane is blocked and traffic is backed up on the approach. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and real Canadian superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com, open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hype of Highway 10 in Cloverdale. It's one of the Lower Mainland's most popular summer attractions, but after nearly two decades, the future of the Richmond Night Market is up in the air. The organizer says he desperately needs a financial lifeline, but the business 
is one of those that's falling through the cracks. Nadia Stewart reports. Welcome to Night Market 2020. It is the Richmond Night Market like you've never seen it before. Look at it now. It's, it's like a ghost town. And just compared to my experience from the past, it's, it's just heartbreaking for me to just look at this right now. It is. It all starts with the food. That's the big draw. That's what people come for. Typically, the, the market attracts 10,000 people a night. Cars. But it and the 280 vendors who'd filled these stalls are victims of the pandemic, falling through the funding cracks. One of the uh, program person explains that, Raymond, your night market is so unique, so different, where you are involving food court retail game and music, but you're not really specifically in one industry. You're covering all industry almost. Founder Raymond Chung says he's applied for around seven federal or provincial programs. Each one of those applications was denied. As today, we're getting zero, nothing, not a single program that we could even fit in from the federal side, provincial side, nothing. What was supposed to be their 20th anniversary is now the year that can't end soon enough. Over half a million dollars spent in preparation for the big party wasted. Tickets and coupon booklets thrown in the trash. They still have to pay the lease for this land so the market can return next year. But they also have to reimburse vendors hundreds of thousands of dollars. Minister Michelle Mungle says government is reviewing proposals for economic recovery, which could include more supports for businesses. Chiang says he hasn't received a dime. So that review is his last hope. We are hopeful that someone will say, hey, it's, you know, we're going to help you out. Different, but nothing. Look at this. Nadia Stewart, Global News. A rugby team on Vancouver Island is hoping to help British Columbians mask up for a good cause. The Victoria Thunder Rugby Club is fundraising by selling non-medical face masks. The masks feature West Coast Indigenous designs, including one created by renowned artist Richard Hunt. Proceeds from the Thunder mask sales will go towards Indigenous rugby programs and to help youth stay involved in sports. And what we want to do is um, find ways to keep this program going. Um, I think a lot of businesses and uh, nonprofits are struggling right now, so we have to get creative. Uh, luckily, um, you know, we've developed a mask to try and keep things rolling and keep us uh, above board. But we're eager to get back onto the field um, and share the power of sport uh, as best we can. Just ahead, U.S. Democrats hope it's the winning ticket. Joe Biden makes an historic pick, choosing Kamala Harris for his running mate. And global skepticism that Russia has really done what it said it did, developing a COVID vaccine. remain on scene to this rollover semi in Surrey. It's eastbound on Highway 10, just east of 192nd Street. The right lane is blocked, not causing too much of a delay, just more of a visual distraction. 
Kermat Collision and Autoglass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 10 in Surrey. A fiery explosion caught on video in Russia. More than a dozen people were injured in this blast at a gas station. Firefighters used a robot to help put out the flames. It was hooked up to a fire hose to get in close to the source of the explosion. A criminal case has now been opened to look for safety violations that may have led to the fire. Well, Russia says it will go forward with mass production of its new COVID vaccine, despite widespread international skepticism that it will work. The announcement was made by Russian President Vladimir Putin, who vouched for its safety and effectiveness by saying one of his two adult daughters was already inoculated. The announcement was accompanied by a video comparing Russia's achievement to Sputnik, the world's first satellite in space. The vaccine has not undergone any large-scale testing, so-called phase three trials, that other vaccines around the world are undergoing. Still, Russia says more than 20 countries have expressed interest or made requests for more than a billion doses of vaccine. We'll be producing vaccine with other countries in true partnership and really making vaccine available uh, to the world, to countries who want it, to countries who need it. We don't know whether it actually protects and we don't know what will happen when large numbers of people are inoculated. It's akin to 1957 and a Sputnik moment. Big proclamation. But I'm not sure all the data are there yet. It is important, I think, uh, not for me personally, but I think for the, the real experts around the world to actually uh, be able to get access to, to the, quote, the Russian data, the evidence, uh, the scientific information to, to uh, be able to understand exactly what has happened uh, uh, with respect to their trials and then to be able to draw conclusions. Russia believes it can start mass production next month and global distribution of the vaccine in October. Former Vice President Joe Biden has fulfilled his pledge to select a female running mate. His history-making choice, Senator Kamala Harris, the first black and South Asian person ever tapped as the vice presidential nominee of a major U.S. party. More now on what went into the decision and reaction. The decision announced online, Kamala Harris, the first black woman on a major party ticket for vice president. The charismatic California senator, 55 years old, more than two decades younger than Biden, representing the next generation of Democrats, and unlike other black women on the list, has twice won statewide office. The political world took notice with her splashy campaign kickoff for president in Oakland last year. We can reclaim the American dream for every single person in our country. Harris is a former California attorney general and a friend of Beau Biden's when he was attorney general of Delaware, which is why her primary debate challenge to Joe Biden last year shocked him. And that little girl was me. When asked this year, Biden has repeatedly said he does not hold grudges. And Harris has campaigned hard for him since dropping out herself, raising money and proving she is a team player. I believe in Joe. The campaign releasing a photo of Biden and Harris talking today and in a statement tonight, Biden praising Harris as smart, tough and ready to lead, writing, I need someone who understands that we are in a battle for the soul of this nation. 
In this year of racial reckoning, there was strong party support for a black candidate, and Biden considered former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, as well as white contenders, principally Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. But Biden's primary campaign was revived by his big victory in South Carolina, thanks to the endorsement of his veteran Democratic leader, Congressman Jim Clyburn, who received the word from Biden earlier today. How important do you think it is to have a black woman in this role, in this campaign this year? I think it's very, very important. And I think this says once and for all that the Democratic Party uh, will not take uh, black people for granted. It never was true. But I think it's even more uh, of a fact today. There is a growing memorial in Red Deer, Alberta today where a deadly attack unfolded at a walk-in medical clinic. Just before noon Monday, witnesses say a man with a weapon attacked a doctor inside the waiting room. The suspect then attempted to run out of the clinic but encountered an officer who had been called to the scene. That officer was also struck with a weapon but managed to disarm and arrest the suspect. The officer was treated for non-life-threatening injuries. RCMP still won't confirm the victim's identity or a possible motive for the attack. The Prime Minister is publicly standing by his finance minister after a report in the Globe and Mail suggested Bill Morneau might be shuffled out of his role. That comes weeks after revelations that Morneau took family trips to Kenya and Ecuador paid for by the WE charity. The Morneau family later paid back the $41,000 in expenses. Global's Michael Couture has more from Ottawa. It has been a difficult summer for Finance Minister Bill Morneau. Not only has he been on the front lines of the economic recovery plan, but he also took a lot of heat for suddenly remembering to repay $41,000 in expenses to the WE charity just before testifying before a parliamentary committee. Now, the Globe and Mail is reporting that Morneau could lose his role in Cabinet. Reports say Morneau and the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, have clashed over the Finance Department's policy responses to the COVID-19 crisis. Adding further fuel to the speculation is the news that Trudeau is getting policy advice from the former Governor of the Bank of England and the Bank of Canada, Mark Carney. They're trying to quash any rumours of a shuffle. A spokesperson from the Prime Minister's office told Global News, quote, of course, the Prime Minister has full confidence in Minister Morneau, and any statement to the contrary is false. Adding Morneau played a lead role in the creation of a number of government aid programs to help Canadians get through the pandemic, and he will continue to be doing that work. Asked about the future of the Finance Minister, interim Conservative leader Andrew Scheer said the real problem is at the top. It's clear that as long as Justin Trudeau is Prime Minister, we'll see tax and spend policies, an ever-expanding state, more and more intervention in the economy, less and less individual freedom, and, uh, and, and, and Canadians will pay the price for that. Global News also reached out to Morneau's office to ask whether or not he's considering stepping away from politics or resigning his role as Finance Minister. A spokesperson said simply, no, he is not. Mike LeCouture, Global News, Ottawa. In health matters tonight, Vancouverites will have to find another spot to cool off. Trout Lake is closed due to E. coli levels. High counts of E. coli may increase the chances of gastrointestinal illnesses and skin and eye infections. The East Vancouver Lake is the second Vancouver swimming spot to be closed in recent days due to E. coli. Saturday, Sunset Beach had to be closed due to unsafe conditions. Still ahead, Bangra across B.C. 
the story behind this viral sensation and what he's doing in B.C. Also tonight, born to ride, the B.C. woman who finds freedom on the trails. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. As sleepovers go, this would be pretty epic how you can spend the night at the last blockbuster in the world right after Christie's forecast. For you youngins, a blockbuster is a video <laughs> store. And what's uh, video? And what's video? Yeah, of <laughs> video course. Tape. Not even talking about that anymore. Okay, uh, let's check in with Christy for the weather forecast. Nice to see uh, a little bit of sun come back because I'm not going to say it felt like fall today, but it was too gray. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's going to be gray again tomorrow. We're certainly in a pattern with cooler weather. We're well below seasonal where areas warmed up to 19, 20 degrees, and we'll likely see that again tomorrow. I have some photos to show you. Then we're going to talk about what you can expect because there is more summer on the way, everyone. This first one, Jeffrey sending me this, wondering if I was going to be scared, but I've toughened up in my old age. So I'm all good there, Jeffrey. And this was this morning in through uh, looking out from Gambier Island. Yes, a lot of cloud cover today, and you can certainly see that here in the tower cam shots still. So we know a lot of people will be looking for the meteor shower. This is an annual event that happens about mid-August, uh, the Perseid, Perseid uh, meteor shower, and that is going to peak tomorrow morning. Now we'll likely proceed shower. Now we'll likely see a fair amount of cloud cover, but you may be one of the lucky ones that catches a little bit of a break. So if you're really into that, definitely check it out. But this is what we're expecting tomorrow. That marine layer likely regathering across the Metro Van Fraser Valley region. Slight chance of showers tomorrow morning, but we'll be back to brighter conditions and sunshine tomorrow afternoon. So similar to what we saw today with cooler conditions. And that cooler air mass is going to finally shift out of our region. And we've got a big upper level ridge that's going to build through the weekend and into early next week. Expect it to get hot, everyone. In the meantime, this is your Wednesday. So rain and through the Dees Lake uh, Terrace region. Mainly sunny and through the south. These are near seasonal values. A few regions, though, are a little bit below seasonal and will certainly be below seasonal across Metro Vancouver. Quite a bit of cloud cover in the morning, breaks of blue sky in the afternoon, and will slowly climb towards that heat over the weekend. And no rainfall as far as we can see. So be really careful when you're enjoying, enjoying the great outdoors. Now look at this. Texada Island. Bert and Bernice sending us this one. Someone on the paddleboard. The kids playing in the, in the beach. That's a pretty spectacular summer evening. That is a is. keeper. Thanks, Christy. Well, there is just one blockbuster left. It's in Bend, Oregon, and now you can have an end-of-summer sleepover there. For a limited time only, if you're willing to risk crossing the border, Airbnb is letting you rent it out for an epic 90s-themed sleepover. There's no bed, but the listing says we've created the perfect space, complete with a pull-out couch, bean bags, and pillows for you to cozy up with the new releases from the 90s. There's also a snack rack, video games, and you get all of this for just four bucks. What? Yeah. Only three quarantine pods of four people are going to get the chance to enjoy this blast from the past. The Blockbuster is only available on Airbnb for three nights in September. Four bucks? <laughs> What a bargain. It's about how much it used to cost to rent a movie from 
Just make sure you be kind and rewind. Remember exactly. that? Yeah. Kind and rewind. All right. Uh, Jay Janauer is in for Squire tonight. The playoffs in mid-August. Yeah, so first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs underway. What a day as Columbus and Tampa Bay went five overtimes. And we're also going to introduce you to this talented Maple Ridge woman. There's certain times of the day, the first bike in the morning, you know, the first ride, you know, ripping some fresh dirt, first one up an obstacle. There is something very magical about that. Nobody better on the trials bike than Christy Williams Richards. Buckle up your helmet, hang on for the ride. Sports is just ahead. Also tonight, the Bhangra dancers spreading joy from the Yukon to BC and beyond. for Canucks fans, isn't it, Jay? Very true, Chris. Uh, one more sleep until the Canucks take to the ice in the opening round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Don't expect to see Tyler Toffoli in the lineup anytime soon. Travis Green says Toffoli hasn't skated with the group and remains unfit to play. But it's all systems go for everybody else who helped eliminate the Wild in four games. Canucks right now, they're a confident bunch. Uh, but I've never had a doubt for a second with our group. I don't know. They are, they've got a lot of belief in themselves. And the series is going to be a tall order. Tough task, but starts with your belief and believing that you're you're ready to go and you got a chance to win. And I don't have any doubt about that with our group. All right, tonight Blue Jackets and Lightning. This game went so long that players actually grew the full beard. They went five overtimes. It was crazy. Columbus goaltender Jonas Corposalo faced 88 shots, made 88 saves. That is an NHL record. It was unbelievable. Seth Jones played over 60 minutes in this game. And then with 10-27 to go in the fifth overtime period, the fourth longest game in NHL history comes to an end. It's Braden Point with the overtime winner. Remember, a year ago, it was the Blue Jackets sweeping Tampa Bay. So it's the Lightning grabbing a quick 1-0 series lead. This game, which started almost three hours after the Columbus game, finished before the Lightning game. Former Kelowna Rocket Dylan Dubé was on fire. Snipes it thanks to Milan Lucic. Luch, by the way, has got a point in every game for the Flames inside the bubble. That's five straight games with a point. Here's Dubé with the second of the period. We saw him dangle like this for the Rockets. And it's the Flames that win it tonight, 3-2, and they have a 1-0 series lead. Now, because that game went so long, tonight's game between Boston and Carolina, that actually should say postponed, they're not going to play that until Wednesday. The Blackhawks and Golden Knights are going to play later tonight. The, Toronto uh, Blue Jays playing their I first home nice game in Buffalo. Combination. Like yes, the, Buffalo. Uh, Remember, they're not allowed in Toronto. The like the new powder blue team. unis. Like the little powder blue on the uh, brim as One, well, too. Bo Bichette, sixth inning. This is a moonshot. Three-run job, ring it up. The Blue Jays win it tonight, 4-1 in Buffalo. Well, we've all found our own way of dealing and getting through this pandemic. For Maple Ridge's Christy Williams-Richards, it's all about being outside, except Christy's definitions of uh, hitting the trails for some outdoor activity, a little different than yours and mine. Uh, I really like the sound of the first bike in the morning. You know, just that one bike echoing through the parking lot, just putt, putt, putt. 
when you fill up your bike first thing in the morning. Like if your first smell, a lot of people really like coffee. I like a little bit of two-stroke in the morning and you just know it's gonna be a good day. Christy Williams Richards has enjoyed a lot of good days. And for decades now, they all look like this. Christy is North America's most decorated women's trials rider, having won 11 championships. Had it not been for the pandemic, she'd still be on the trials throttle, just with a different view. Without COVID, I would be a team manager for a travel team in the United States, doing the full U.S. National Series as a manager, going to the youth nationals, scouting for talent, and just generally on the road. So instead of being on the road, she's back on and in the trails riding and teaching full time. All of this, delicately maneuvering two or four-stroke engine motorbikes up, down, and around terrain you and I could break an ankle on, is second nature to Christy. Um, I actually used to ride around on my dad's gas tank um, before I was pretty much able to walk. So yeah, always been on a bike and I started riding my own bike when I was four years old. The fumes of trial bikes have provided a motorsport intoxication that's gone well beyond decades. We're talking multiple generations sharing a love and passion for motorcycles that dates well over a century now. It was a way of life for myself and my wife. I did it with my father and, uh, and uh, my grandfather was involved, my father was involved, I'm involved, now my kids are involved, now my grandkids down in California are involved. And uh, just for me it was a way of life for years. You won't find a prouder father than Kit Williams. All three of his daughters at one point in their lives had motorbikes of their own. Youngest Christy blazing a trail yet to be matched by any female trials rider in North America. It's like a, a, a telepathy that goes between us. She took over where, where I left off, where my competition career had kind of ended because of old age and artificial knees and that. Much like uh, hockey dads, I live my trials riding through my daughter. So, obviously, uh, whenever she does something really well, then I feel very, very proud. There is a serenity to it. For me, riding trials, it's an absolute uh, freedom, and it's the greatest relationship between myself and nature and myself and the bike, and being able to uh, control the bike and, and master the terrain. Interesting stuff, and a big shout-out to cameraman Daryl Patton. He was like a mountain goat during that show. Thanks a lot, Daryl. He had to be. Dad got us all a little choked up there. That was a good story. Thanks, Jay. Here's the other Jay. Durant, now the preview of Global News at 11. Jay. Thanks very much, Chris. We have breaking news out of Langley, where emergency crews are dealing with a large fire. It's on a rural property at 245A and 54th Avenue. The flames and smoke can be seen coming through the roof of what appears to be a large work shed or garage. There are several pieces of heavy equipment parked nearby. No word at this point how it started or if there are any injuries. An update on that store and more when you join us tonight at 11. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. Thanks very much, Jay. He's the IT specialist dancing his way into hearts across the country. That's next. Internet famous and now a Yukon-based IT specialist and Bhangra dance instructor is gaining new fans as he documents his summer travels around B.C. And as Brad McLeod reports, Gurdeep Pander has made it his mission to spread the joy of dance everywhere he visits. His dancing, much-needed medicine. 
from his adopted home in the Yukon, Gurdip Pandir's videos have gone viral, thanks to his infectious moves. I thought that it would be great to add joy through videos, um, like happiness videos, creating positivity. He's dancing the Bhangra, originating from Punjab province in India, where Pandir was raised. When farming was manual, it was a very tough job. So those farmers, they created this dance to add fun and entertainment into their farming. But when 42-year-old Pandir became Canadian nine years ago, he had to give up his Indian citizenship. So he decided to learn as much as he could about his new country, traveling coast to coast to coast, absorbing cultures. These videos, they are just making people happy, but they are also helping them in their very tough times. He has since left his job in the Yukon making money teaching Bhangra online. He says there's one important rule. If you're just dancing, but you're not happy, that cannot be called Pagra dancing. <laughs> Currently, he's spreading joy on Vancouver Island from the capital to... Uh, Tofino. To describe uh, Tofino on a signboard, it was saying that uh, the force of nature. And I, I think I'm really feeling that force of nature. <laughs> and that laugh. Something Pandir says binds everyone together. When we laugh, everybody laughs in a similar way. <laughs> a joyous antidote to the pandemic blues. <laughs> Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. <laughs> I like the guy walking around in the background. <laughs> <laughs> don't, you, don't you wish you were out there with him? I, I want to hang with him. Oh, yeah. yeah. I want his laugh as my ringtone. Not that anyone ever calls, but, <laughs> you <laughs> <Right>. know... <laughs> Uh, well, we, um, we, did, we weren't able to check back in with Christy due to technical issues, but uh, I'm going to be off for a couple of days, ringing no. as much as I can out of the summer of 2020, so I'll be back in a couple of days. Or, or a week and a half. Well, I'll be enjoying the sunshine <laughs> wherever it is out there somewhere. Well, it looks like it's getting better anyway. It does. All right, that's all the time we have for tonight. Thank you for joining us. Have a great vacation. Thank you very much, and thanks for watching, everybody.